This is the first account we have of the disciples, now apostles, being arrested. Last week, we looked into the scene where Peter and John were making their way into the temple to worship, and when they got to the gate, they saw a man who had been lame since birth begging for alms. And they reached down, and in the power of the Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, they lifted this man up who began to walk and even leap. And then all three of them went into the temple to worship. Following worship, we're then told that Peter began doing a little preaching about the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. It was the Sadducees who had him arrested, along with John. They put them in jail overnight. And the next morning, they were forced to give an account of themselves in front of the ruling body and the high priest, and Peter took that as an opportunity to do a little more preaching about the resurrection of Jesus. Now, Peter and John had to know that preaching about the resurrection of Jesus in the temple, which was governed by the people who used the Romans to have Jesus killed, he had to know that was not going to go over well. What was it that made him so fearless? What is it that will make you fearless as you also confront those who will try to stand in your way when you fulfill your calling, your own apostolicity of being sent out with one who has a message, a message some do not want to hear. What will take away your fear? It is uh, significant that the Sadducees were the ones who are identified here as being kind of the, the motivation behind having Peter and John arrested. Unlike the Pharisees, the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection of anyone. As we learned in Sunday school, that's why they were sad, juicy. It's a groaner, I know, but it had to be said, I'm sorry. They were also, unlike the Pharisees, they uh, were part of an aristocratic class of people. They were part of the, the wealth, the cultural elite. The Sadducees had made something of a deal with the Romans. And the deal went like this. They were allowed to keep their wealth and their high cultural status as long as they used it to maintain some social control over the people. So if there's some people walking around talking about the resurrection, that's not going to sit so well with those who have coped well with the bad system. That's what the Sadducees were great at, coping well with a bad system. Because those who are talking about the resurrection are talking crazy talk. That's threatening. That threatens the entire social order. Because the Roman social order was based on fear. That's why they could keep their power, because people were afraid of dying. And if death is, is not at the end, if people are no longer afraid of dying, if there really is a resurrection to new life, then everything that they have built their lives upon starts to crumble. How do you control people who are not afraid of death? This was the secret 
to the early church's success. For 300 years, while being periodically persecuted, at times severely, the church continued to grow and grow and grow in spite of being outlawed, in spite of, at times, even martyrdom. Why could they continue to grow? Because they believed in the resurrection. We have copies of early church baptismal liturgies. Some go back as far as the second century. They're all essentially, these early liturgies of baptism, they're, they're funeral services where those who were preparing to be baptized to enter the church would, would walk down into the waters after taking off their old clothes while the priest talked about taking off the old person, the old vices, the old anxieties, the old body. They would go down into the water. The priest would put them under the water saying, you are buried with Jesus in baptism. Pull them up and say, you've risen to a new life. They would come out of the water as the priest talked about the glories of now putting on Jesus Christ, putting on his virtue, his, vi- his, his virtue for us, his, his, his holiness, his mission. They'd put on new clothes they'd never worn before. It's a sign of take, putting on this new Christ, this new life. That made them unafraid because in their baptism they had already gotten the dying over with. This is something that Caesar never could figure out. None of the Caesars ever figured this out. Why the Christians would remain unafraid. Because they'd already gotten the dying over with. That's why they were unafraid. You can't scare dead people. (laughs) Anyone who claims their baptism has gotten the dying over with. There is no fear. Caesar, Sadducees, whoever it is that's waiting to stand in your way of the vision and the call that God has given you, they they cannot hurt you. They cannot take anything. You've already given it up. And now you get to remain unafraid. The early church didn't invent this. It's all over the Gospels. Jesus tells us exactly the same thing over and over again. Have you ever noticed in the Gospels how easy Jesus is on people who have their doubts? Remember the the father of a boy with epilepsy, he says, well, I, I believe, but I, I need help with my unbelief. That's, that's fine with Jesus. He heals the boy. Remember at the end of the sixth chapter of John, when people start to leave Jesus because he's saying things that are hard and they don't like what they're hearing, and Jesus looks to the disciples and he says, all right, well, what about you guys? Are you going to leave too? You remember their response? Well, um, where, would, where would we go? It's not exactly saying the Apostles' Creed. Um, <laughs> we have our doubts, but we got nothing else. Or at the end of Matthew, after the resurrection, at the very end, where some of the disciples are staring at the risen Jesus, the text tells us that some of them still had their doubts, but they worshiped. Now, I would think if you were staring at the risen Jesus, that'd pretty much take care of the doubt problem. <laughs> but it, it doesn't. But Jesus doesn't rebuke them because they choose to worship. By contrast, every time we run into people who are afraid in the Gospels, Jesus is scolding them. The disciples are in a boat that's being tossed about by the storms and they're afraid. Jesus calms the storms and he scolds them for their little faith. Remember the story of the steward who was afraid so he buried his talent in a hole? I think it's one of those cast them into outer darkness, gnashing of teeth kind of judgments. When Peter is walking on the water towards Jesus and then realizes he can't walk on the water, so he starts to sink, 
Jesus pulls him up out of the water, and then right out there on the waves, he scolds him. He's a man of little faith. Why, why is Jesus so hard on our fears? So tolerant of faith, but so hard on our fears. Apparently, the way the New Testament sees it, it's not our doubts, but it is our fear that is the measure of our lack of faith. It all starts to get pretty clear when we get to 1 John. And we're told that perfect love does what? Cast out fear. That's the only way you ever get rid of your fear is through receiving the perfect love. The reason Jesus is hard on our fears is because it's revealing that we have not been attending to the perfect love of God that has been given to us. Nobody is ever argued out of their fears. You're only loved out of fear. If you've ever been up in the middle of the night afraid of something that might happen, you try to come up with rational reasons why it won't happen, every time you do that, you'll come up with five more reasons why it is gonna happen. You can't argue your way out of fear. Parents here who have little children, when, you're, when your kids wake up in the middle of the night screaming that there's a monster in their bed, uh, and you get out of your bedroom, and you, do you go to the door of the child's bedroom and say, now look, we've talked about this before, this is completely irrational. <laughs> no, you don't do that. The parent runs into the room and grabs the kid up and hugs the kid, and out of the love of the parent for the child, the child's not thinking about monsters anymore. We are only loved out of our fears, the perfect love of God is the only thing that can cast out this fear we have. A fear that would do much more than your doubts at preventing you from fulfilling your calling. It is so striking that Peter is now preaching about the resurrection to the high priest. The last time we saw Peter and the high priest together, the high priest was putting Jesus on trial and Peter was out in the courtyard. Remember that scene? And he's so afraid that he denies even knowing Jesus. What has changed? That Peter goes from being so afraid that he even denies his identity as a disciple to now boldly, boldly, after spending the night in jail, boldly proclaiming his belief in the resurrection of this Jesus to the very high priest that scared him so much. Well, there are two things. One is that he, Peter is convinced of the resurrection. Peter's already been to Easter. And he's no longer afraid. He knows that the high priest, the worst the high priest can do is kill him. And Peter's not afraid of that because he knows he has eternal life with Christ. And that life has begun now. Second thing, according to this text, that makes Peter unafraid is that he is filled with the Holy Spirit. And the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to bind us into the Son's beloved relationship with the Father so that you too are adopted into this beloved relationship. You too are the beloved of God, this perfect love, perfect love that cast out your fear. I do not know where it is that God will send you. I do know it'll be to something that is so worthwhile that someone will try to resist it. It will inevitably involve change because Lord knows Literally, the Lord knows, we live in a world that needs change. 
and you will be called to be a part of that. How will you overcome the temptation to be afraid of those who will resist your changes? It's this Easter faith. It makes all the difference. That's how we've learned to bury our fears and our fearful life and to rise at last to a life that can make a world of difference. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.